So for example, like even though, yes, like right now they did install a sensor on my door. Um, a sensor? I, yes, there's a sensor on my door that they installed that they already, like as soon as I arrived at home, um, actually, let me just talk talk a little bit more about like uh, after you get your COVID test, actually I had to wait around. Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today I interview Kimberly Wong, a fashion designer who originally hails from New Jersey but has resided in Shanghai for the last decade. Her daily COVID-19 journal installments have captured what everyday life looks like as a Chinese resident since the outbreak, which has captured many readers and major publications online wanting to know that experience. In this episode, I sat with her to discuss her novel journey back to Shanghai, China in a COVID era. This is her story. I'm Ian Gaines. Come join us Beyond Borders. I have been living in Shanghai for around nine years now in Asia, well over a decade. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd actually been at the point where I was deciding to move back to the U.S for when uh, things started to really heat up in China. Cause I was like, oh my God, like we're gonna go and complete lockdown in China. Um, there's gonna be a huge recession. Um, I'm a small business owner. I'm actually a fashion designer. And so I was like, okay, maybe it's better for me to just cut all my costs and then head back to the US. So that's why I originally was gonna relocate, repatriate back to the US in january or at least kind of like figure out how i was gonna make that happen wow okay so let's take it back from the, the beginning then so um yeah. when you first heard that there was an outbreak where were you what was your first reaction to that i think i first started hearing about it a little bit basically when uh it was just hitting chinese new year but then it wasn't until like it was like really serious where they're like, okay, now they're shutting down and putting everyone that lives in Wuhan on lockdown. Mm -hmm. And, and where so were you during this time? I was in Shanghai. Okay, okay. So people had already started um, going out a lot less to begin with. I'd like to say that, you know, in China we have these uh, neighborhood committees mm -hmm. that are elected people from each area. And they had already been putting out little posters that were propaganda of telling everyone to stay home. Mm. So these are neighborhood like volunteers? Actually haven't figured out. Some of them are volunteers, some of them are paid. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and I felt very scared because mm. um, not only am I a small business owner, I'm actually alone here in the country. I mean, again, it was just like rumors, like we didn't know what was gonna happen in Shanghai. I was scared that I was gonna be locked up by myself with no end in sight. So that's why I made the decision to go back to the US. And when did you make that decision? Do you know what date that was, what time? Yeah. It was probably mid-February at that time. Okay, and your family is back in the US? Yes, in New Jersey, and and they were like, okay, like if you if you feel like it'll be safer for you to come back, then come back. 
I mean, I think I was in New Jersey for like five to six weeks. Actually, it took me at least like three weeks of actually like decompressing the actual shock of what was going on. What was the motivation to come back? I thought that it would be safer for me in the U.S. at that time. So from here, Kimberly expresses second thoughts about America's readiness for the outbreak and decides to take a flight back to China, Pudong International. We get into a pleasant conversational detour on her overlay in Japan, eventually invoking me to ask, you fly into Pudong, what happens next? Please watch your luggages. Hold the handrail. That flight was, of course, very, very packed. Um, and I have to say that even before this, um, there were many, many WeChat groups that had been set up uh, by people that were expats trying to return back to China. So there was already like a lot of uh, crowdsourced information that I knew beforehand about the procedures in China. I mean, not only do I do all the packing of, you know, all the, I guess, like disinfectant wipes that you uh, use to keep your area on the plane safe, mm -hmm. I also did pack like, okay, what are some things that I might need in case I'm in a hotel for two weeks? Did you wind up in a hotel stay? No, I did not. I'll tell you that I guess I got lucky. Like I, at that time, we still had the choice um, whether to pick a hotel stay or whether to do a homestay. Um, I believe in Beijing, like a lot earlier, they had already, they had a different um, rule where basically anyone that came in had to do a 14 day hotel stay, but we still have the option in Shanghai. Okay, so obviously here in America, we don't have those procedures. Walk me through what that is like. So after you get off the plane, do they take you off to get checked out? Yeah. So uh, first of all, we had to wait on the tarmac for quite a few hours before they let us off. I'm sure, you know, every flight that was returning to China at that time was completely filled because people are trying to now go back, do the opposite and go back to China. After they let us off the plane, they let us off. And this is when it's like, it hits you that like, okay, like they're taking this extremely, extremely seriously. And like, they have like their operations in order. Everyone's in hazmat suits in the airport. They take you off of the plane 40 people at a time. And by the way, we had already gotten like a special like health form that we had to fill out in paper as well as the regular customs form. Um, but we also, for this health form, actually, there is also another code that you could scan with your phone so that you also have a digital copy of it. So we get in line and then that's when we get interviewed by people. Um, so they check up on where exactly we were uh, in, the past 14 days, whether we're showing any symptoms. And then that's when your passport gets marked as uh, green, yellow, or red. Oh. So red would mean that you're sick and you need to go to the hospital immediately. Yellow would mean that you definitely have to do a 14-day quarantine, which is 
uh, at that time was only maybe like 28 countries. So you would have to come from a high risk country, which the US was at that time. And then green were just like other countries that weren't high risk and you could walk out of the airport regularly. So because my flight was from Japan, which is also high risk, um, everyone on my flight, like we got, unless we were sick, we got the yellow sticker and then went and, you know, got our bags as normal. But then afterwards I have to follow this path um, that's for yellow stickered people. And then that's when they start to divide you into different areas of where you might be going. So I headed into the Shanghai area and then Shanghai area was then sectioned off into each district. I went to my district and this was the most actually like touching part out of all of it was that these people that were in hazmat suits for my district were all volunteers. Wow. Yes. Yes. And they're putting themselves at risk every day. Um, and so those are the people that actually take down, you know, all of your information, then mark you for like your sub district, you wait until the bus for your specific district is ready. And then we get carted off to the testing center. So some people at that point, like they, if they choose a hotel quarantine, so for example, if you have family at home that were already in China and like you wanted to go back home, actually all of those people would have to do a 14 day quarantine with you. So I think like that might be one of the reasons that people might choose an automatic hotel quarantine. So their family can, you know, go on with their regular lives. We go off to the testing center, which is a repurposed middle school gym. Mm. They had definitely like capacity for like hundreds of people, but I don't know, maybe we were just lucky that day. Uh, maybe only 40 to 50 people at that time um you get marked with a number that number then corresponds to a chair um that of course is all like you know spaced away from each other you take your luggage over there and then when your number gets called uh you can go and take your test for covid everybody's getting tested that's what it comes down to Right. Yes, everyone gets tested. And, and by the way, like all of this is free. Yeah, yeah, that's free. So that's where I'm getting towards. Okay. In America, right now is only if you're showing signs, only if you're showing symptoms for you to come in because you don't want to overwhelm the system. Well, it, it seems like there was already a, a system in place where they had enough test kits and enough medical practitioners and I, I guess, and also volunteers too, uh, which goes a long way to make sure that everybody who has entered the country can get a test. That's yeah, I mean, I mean, not only that, like I just also want people to keep in mind that of course, like China has been dealing with this for a lot longer than the US, even though like, of course, like other countries like the US did have prior warning. What I can say about China is that, you know, they really have taken this very seriously and always, like many, many things in China actually, like are always continuously improving on their process. So by the time that, you know, if something had started in January and I get here in mid-March, it's going to be running pretty polished. Right. Got you. Got you. All right. So then you go home and within those 14, you have to go through each day, but <laughs> what, what changed? 
I mean, honestly, like I felt extremely relieved to be at home. Like I almost even like kissed my dirty floor that hadn't been like swept in, you know, over a month. Um, to be honest, I also feel like I am very, very well taken care of here. So for example, like even though, yes, like right now they did install the sensor on my door. Um, a sensor? I, like, yes, there's a sensor on my door that they installed that they already, like, as soon as I arrived at home. Um, actually, let me just talk a little bit more about after you get your COVID test, actually I had to wait around um, six hours to get your result. So you're just kind of like sitting there in the gym. Um, they already had like free snacks, free blankets, whatever, like you needed. And then after you get called, which by me, it was like midnight by then. So actually in total, it takes like three, took three days for me to get back. Um, they're like, okay, now we're going to drop you off where you live. And by the time, like I get dropped off, it's like pouring rain at like 1am and there's actually two neighborhood volunteers, um, that are there to welcome me in hazmat suits. Oh, wow. And so yes, already knew that you were arriving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they already have the whole communication system set up and, and, mm -hmm. and you know, like people to actually like welcome you back. Took my temperature again, like made sure like my paperwork was correct. Um, and then, and this is people from my neighborhood committee. Mm -hmm. And then they were like, okay, uh, just want to make sure that like you know that this is a mandatory like 14-day quarantine um there's going to be a doctor we're also going to be installing a sensor on your door so so you uh, had a, a doctor that's assigned to you basically yes yeah, so each i guess like subsection of each district has a neighborhood committee that looks after you so for example like they will take out your trash for you like you put it outside your door but they take it for you oh, okay. um and then there's also a doctor and then uh depending on each different neighborhood um either the doctor comes to you twice a day and then they take your temperature or in my case actually i'm taking my temperature every day and taking a photo of it and sending it to them twice a day Wow, okay, that's very thorough. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. And it's really like, I feel very privileged to to live here because I mean, yeah, like you could say that it's scary that like there's like a sensor on my door and, and whatnot. But actually like, you know, this is like something that everyone in the community has a lot of pride about. You know, like we're coming together to work for the good health of the community. And I am doing my part by staying at home. <laughs> You're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> I'm trying to do my best doing the same. Obviously, that's quite a difference to the procedures that we have here in America. Not sure if we will go to those extents. I, I, I don't think that will happen. But at the same token, we're probably going to see more cases <laughs> because we can't just stop people from leaving. Of course, like every state has a different procedure. And I've been seeing that every state has, I don't know, whether they have like a stay at home 
mandate or something else. Like I actually wish that things could be stricter um, just because of that I've seen that it's worked in other countries. I know that, you know, as Americans, like we totally, like we love our freedom and individuality. And that is something that is amazing about America. But right now, like people really need to think about the whole and like the community. Mm -hmm. And one other thing that I wanted to uh, bring up because I actually have been um, looking into actually sourcing the medical equipment to bring back to the US, like I'm assisting a couple of nonprofits. Um, what, what nonprofits? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. A million masks.org. Um, oh, yes, I've heard of them. Yep. Mm -hmm. Great people. And they're also people that used to uh, live in Shanghai. So I do personally know them. Oh, wow. Okay. It looks like states or hospitals or whatever, they're kind of like in bidding wars with each other. I really, you know, I'm not any kind of scholar of like the government or the healthcare system in the U.S. It's just what I've seen. Mm -hmm. I hope that maybe there can be a little bit more national leadership. Yeah, that's one way of putting it. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the nicest way to say it, that it would be great if it was organized a little bit better so that, you know, people don't have to go through this inefficient process of bidding against each other. What really comes out to me is just the sacrifices, especially, as you said, for the whole, right? When you have volunteers, they're putting themselves at risk, um, but they're doing it for the betterment of their community and the people who, around them. It is going to take a sacrifice. I know you want to go out, it's nice, and you want to put on your shorts and get your tan, <laughs> but it's like, well, we can't do that right now because there's a, a bigger reason. So how are you doing right now? Is it still like a lockdown or? Oh, um, well, I mean, I'm still in home quarantine. So, I mean, I just did take my temperature and send it off to my doctor before I got on the call with you. Um, but afterwards, after this lockdown, I mean, they're already saying that, uh, maybe like social distancing isn't too important here. At least it's not mandatory for you to wear a mask. I think some museums are actually even reopening. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, but, but again, like, you know, things, things change every day. So for example, like I had even heard that the movie theaters had opened, but then they're, they're closing again. So I guess like right now, just about the time that like I've come back, people are worried um, to see a second spike. So, so it's kind of like, you know, they're kind of trying to manage as they go. One thing that like I think would be really helpful for people to do, and this is I guess like worldwide, is that yeah, like I guess like some people really want to point fingers and like blame this person, that person, this party, this country, whatever, for mm. what's going on. But if you can, I think it's much better to channel your energy and efforts towards something better, such as trying to make sure that medical workers or people on the front line are actually covered by the necessary equipment that they need. Right, yeah, it's, it's not a time to point fingers or single people out. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've heard and 
the U.S. spikes in discrimination against Asian Americans, and uh, it's just no place for that. The opposite's going on in China, <laughs> a little bit. Oh, oh, in what sense? It's like ironic because, like now, you know, with like the second spike, like some people are afraid that it's only people with foreign faces that are bringing mm, the it. virus back. Foreigners, gotcha. Yeah, when. Honestly, like, I'm pretty sure it's like anybody who's coming back, <laughs> potentially. Yeah, it's, it has nothing to do with what you look like. Right. Yeah, exactly. Your gender, your race, how you look, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's only uh, where you've actually been. So again, stay at home. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you to Lee Researcher, Con Branch, Assistant Producers, Luke Bianco, and David White, and music by Brandon Williams. Follow Immigration Nerds on Twitter at IMMNerds and Erickson Immigration Group on LinkedIn to join in the conversation. I'm Ian Gaines. See you next week.